you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn this evening to Luke chapter 14. Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. There's always a first, first for everything. Um, yesterday, when we were downtown preaching the Gospel by the Reedy River, While I was preaching, this, this man he approached me, and, and sometimes that happens even while you're preaching, they come, and I always have a little tract or thing to, to give. So he comes and he puts out his hand, and, and I'm pushing one of my little tracts into his hand as he's, he's reaching out. And uh, as I'm trying to push this into his hand, he's trying to push $20 into my hand. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, I'm saying, no, 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 it's, 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 you know, I don't need that, it's okay, you know. And he's, he's insisting, he's, he's pushing it and pushing it. And uh, eventually I sort of relinquished and got the tract into his hand and took the $20 from him. And uh, I'd forgotten t- totally about it, completely forgot about it. And sometime last evening I'd put my hand in the pocket and, and I was, oh, that's right, <laughs> And then I was wondering, is this filthy looker? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, it was funny. Strange things that happen. But uh, do do pray for all the ministries that go out from this church and our efforts to preach the gospel and reach souls. And certainly there are many, many tracts given out yesterday as well. I was thankful for the, the help of a couple of men with me and the tracks that could be distributed while I was, was preaching the Word and so on. So, pray for that. Luke chapter 14, we're going to read from verse 15. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. Sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 24. This is the word of God. Receive it as the very Word of God to your heart tonight. Let's pray. O God, we ask, give us understanding in all things concerning Thy Word. 
especially those pertinent matters that we need to hear and know of. We do thank Thee again for the privilege of the gospel and preaching it. To know it and to declare it is an honor indeed. We think again of just those that passed us by yesterday. So, so many wanting nothing to do with the Word. And many even that say, seem to say things that were just to get us to let them go and claim to be Christians, and yet you just wonder, we just wonder where they are. Lord, we pray, turn this town around. Show Thy mercy to Greenville. Use Thy Word, we pray, and use Thy people. We're thankful even for the reminder in this passage of the, the greatness of Thy heart towards sinners. And we pray that Thou wilt bless us tonight as we give consideration to this portion. Thou knowest where everyone is, and I pray that Thou wilt speak. Show Thy mighty hand in salvation. So extend Thy kingdom. Bless us. Give me Thy Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Feasts are a symbol of hospitality and friendship. And most of us enjoy them, enjoy various occasions. We're coming up on, again, Thanksgiving will not be far away. And then there's Christmas and there are other occasions where many of us uh, show and express hospitality and love and friendship in this fashion. Often the the best meals we ever have or have experienced or can testify to are more about the company than it may be about the actual food that we eat as far as our memories and our, the highlights of our life. And this is precisely what Scripture says. Solomon observed better as a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Of course, I, I, maybe the vegetarians don't understand what that text means. They would rather have a dinner of herbs, but the vast majority of us, that's not the case. We would rather have the stalled ox, the ox that's set aside, prepared, that we might enjoy it together. But better to have the vegetables where love is than all the best meat that could be offered and hatred therewith. In the Bible, the first time we find man eating, or mankind eating, we might say, the food is good, but the company is bad. Satan's right there, tempting, encouraging, prompting that man might fall, disobey God, rebel by taking the forbidden fruit. That should have removed man from the company of God forever. And yet the entire message of the Bible, in a certain sense, is about how God brings man back into fellowship such fellowship that man gets to sit and dine with God. That's what is being put before us. The reconciling work of our God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And God gives many messages to His people throughout the Old Testament around food. The, the Passover, it's all established around a meal. You have various Levitical feasts also that establish the importance of meals, the, the peace offerings, for example, indicating a, a, a time where we're to come together and, and eat and dine and rejoice together with others. God wants us to, to not just enjoy the message, but actually pulls it around feasting so that we can remember the message in the midst of some of the most joyous occasions that we have. We, we, we ought to treasure 
hospitality. Treasure company with one another. Treasure eating with each other. It is a precious thing. And the Bible's full of it. Full of it. You you, you go through the Scriptures, constantly there's dining and feasting and all sorts of things going on. Like Mephibosheth, we are made lame by sin, but by grace we are brought to eat continually at the king's table. Like Ruth, we discover that our Boaz loves to extend to us his parched corn, and he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Our God is generous, and our God loves to show that generous spirit in various ways, and one way is through the scene of banqueting and feasting and eating together. The Lord Jesus Christ often uses, again, imagery of this sort to drive home the point, and the passage before us tonight is no different. We're brought to the scene of a banquet, a banquet that is being used to illustrate a key message that was being missed. Now, remember the scene. Our Lord Jesus has been invited to dine with a Pharisee. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you can see that one of the chief priests pulled him in, encouraged him to come and eat with them on the Sabbath day. And there's a whole setup here. We've dealt with this already. They've, they've put someone with dropsy right in his midst because they're, they're trying to get him to do his healing power on the Sabbath so that they can use that against him and to dismiss him as being of God because they have the idea that if he does this, that's a breach of the Sabbath. Of course, that's not the case. Our Lord is well aware of what they are up to. But as he continues through this scene, he puts forth various matters. We've already seen another parable from verse 7 that is addressed to the particular man who is a host on this occasion. But then here, where we've come to tonight in verse 15, one that's sitting there, sitting at meat, when he heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And you read those words and you ask the question, well, well so where, where is he in this? Because this is true, blessed. This is a beatitude. This is, is a right expression of, of what God does. It's a blessing to be brought into company with God eating bread in the kingdom of God. You go to the Old Testament, there are various portions, there's a chapter in Isaiah where you see that there is this looking forward to a great dining, a great feasting with God. The marriage supper of the Lamb that we find in Scripture is, is, is to be looked forward to by the people of God. That our God will bring us into His kingdom, we'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, rec- symbolic representation of, of His people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are certainly the people of God. If you're there, then you are, you are of that number. And you get to participate in the same blessings. But before we move on, I want you to just think upon the, how our God has seen fit to communicate messages through this, these symbols of banqueting and feasting and so on. It is reflecting His character. It's reflecting His generosity, His love, and His kindness toward men. Jesus here sitting in this meal in the home of a Pharisee, he, he's, he's sitting really in enemy territory, and He is telling them about what God has planned and what God has invited men to, and yet so few have, have come to embrace it. As I say, it's hard to be dogmatic 
as to the motive of this statement that is made in verse 15. Maybe he's a secret disciple. Maybe this is a legitimate. He's looking forward to this, and he is anticipating this, and maybe it's true of him. But I think, and most would support this, that this is just one of these self-righteous Pharisees who believes that, no, we have a right to be at the table of God. We, by reason of our, self, of our righteousness, of our position, of our inheritance through Abraham, we have a right to receive all the benefits that God has offered to men. And yet they don't. They don't have it based on the reasons that they think. And what's startling about this passage is how honest Jesus Christ is in the midst of this home as He puts forth a message that is, is basically, in summary, in summary, he's, he's saying, you have been invited, you have rejected, and there is no hope. There is no hope. So tonight we're considering a banquet not to be missed. A banquet not to be missed. I want you to note firstly with me divine invitations. Divine invitations. Look at verse 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent a servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Now, this, this is huge. You, you get the sense of the the significance of this feast, that he's constantly reaching out, saying to his servant, go, bring in more, bring in more, bring in more. This is huge. And an event like this cannot be done quickly. It is planned. It has a whole host of aspects and moving parts, and he is, he is planning the, the bringing in of the food and the, the killing of the animals and has all his servants prepared. And there's just, it's, it's huge, a huge operation. I mean, think about it. Think about the amount of detail that goes into the average wedding, which may be where we see the largest kind of feasts similar, similar to this go on. There's a lot that goes into it. And yet with that, with all that planning, in, in a big way, what, what you do is you, you pay a certain amount of money and then you have kind of temporary servants do a lot of the work for you. And, and you don't really see what goes on behind the scenes. They're all behind the scenes there with their kitchen and with their washing of pots and pans and all the labor that goes into making the food, preparing the food, ordering the food, all of the things that go on, all the stuff, the busyness and the heat of, of hospitality in behind you. No one ever gets to see it. But if, you, if you've ever worked in hospitality, it's chaotic in there at the busiest times. But we don't, we don't see that. But it's huge. If you, if you take in that responsibility and all that goes on to a feast like this, it is huge. So, in ancient times, when they would do something like this, there would be two invitations. The first invitation, as would be natural, is sending it out and asking, are you able to come? And you have it here. There is this, this bidding. He, he, he bade many. He's inviting many to come. He's calling all sorts of people, come. So that's the first kind of invitation that goes out bidding people that I'm arranging this feast and I invite you to join with me. But there's another invitation. The invitation that goes out once everything is ready. And so verse 17, he sent, unto, sent his servant at supper time to say to them that we're bidden, come, for all things are now ready. It is time. It is time. I set aside the date I schedule it for you. I give indication roughly when this is all going to take place. 
You've said you're able to come. I'm sending out the message now. Come, come and gather. Come and dine. Come, for all things are now ready. It's a wonderful picture of, of the gospel, of the indication of, of, of God sending His message to, to all. And we're going to see that more as we progress. But I, you, you should keep that little text in your mind when you think of, of, of your invitation to, to men and women who, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to just to, to encapsulate the fact that all things are now ready. In other words, you don't have to do anything here. You just have to come and enjoy. You just have to come and dine. The work is done. All that is necessary to arrange this, all the work has been taken up and completed, and you just get to enjoy it. And dear friend, that, that's the gospel. The gospel is a message of God doing all the work. The planning, the execution, bringing to pass everything necessary. And he says then, based on all the stuff being done, he says, come, come, for all things are now ready. It's all done. You don't have to do anything. Just come and enjoy it. Reap the benefits of, of my labor. This is the divine intervention, or invitation, I should say, where God invites men to come. The call goes out to men, they respond with a sense of interest, and then the second invitation goes out, and they, well, we're going to see just what follows. The fact that these individuals had responded with an intimating their interest is an indication of those that are sitting in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss the context. There are religious people in front of him, and he has been preaching and preaching some three years, pretty much, at this stage. And he has been putting the message before them. He's been bidding them to come. And, and they show a measure of interest, don't they? I mean, they, they're, they're religious. They've, they've been to church, synagogue, on the Sabbath. They've gone and done a certain measure of religious duty. They have given themselves to it. They've, they've, they've tipped their hat, as it were. They've said, yes, I'm interested in the feast. And the man, as he has spoken here in verse 15, as I say, I'm inclined to think negatively about him. I imagine him to be speaking representatively of all the Pharisees, that, indicating the sense that we will eat bread in the kingdom of God. We have it all. And the Lord Jesus is coming in and saying, Let, let's just stop. Let's just stop. Because I, for three years, I've been telling you, come, come. All things are now ready. And you've been living your life with a certain amount of religious interest. But, but when, when it comes to the matter of actually pressing in and responding to the invitation, you come up short. You won't press in. This is reflective of many. Again, even as I was praying tonight, you know, you can't help but feel that. You see a lot of it here in Greenville. Whereas you're trying to pass gospel literature into the hands of those passing by, often they'll say, oh, I, I'm already a Christian. But you get the sense, maybe, maybe something's missing. 
Because you compare that, and I know only God can judge. But, but it's wonderful when you go up to someone, you go to give them gospel literature, and they look at it, and they take it, and they go, yeah, praise the Lord, brother. I'm saved. The Lord saved me 26 years ago. And you just see the smile. You just, the, the whole face opens up with joy. And you say, that person understands the gospel. God has done something in that person's life as best as I can determine. But when you face people who are like trying to run away, they don't even want the literature. They're not, <laughs> they're not really interested in it, but, but they make this passing. Oh, I am a Christian. Really? Really? If so, why are you so quick to get out of my presence? We're brothers and sisters here or whatever. You know, why are you running from me? The Lord knows. But certainly there are many churchgoers in this area, religious people in this area. They have, they have prayed a prayer. They have a Bible on their shelf. They have a certain form of cultural Christianity. As I say, they tip their hat like the Jews. They attend synagogue. The equivalent of going to church here in the south but they come up short. Which brings us then to not just divine invitations, but lame excuses. Lame excuses, verse 18. They all, with one consent, began to make excuse. They're being pressed. It's time. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Are you? You step back and you, hang on a minute here. So you bought a piece of ground. In other words, you've signed the contract. You bought it. You own it. It's yours. Now you're going to see it? So you didn't go to see it before you bought it? It's, I, I, you know, amidst all the chaos of the real estate in recent times, there, there have been occasions people have bought homes and property sight unseen, right? The madness of what's going on, right? They, they, they have a real, realtor in the local area with their face time or whatever showing them the home and giving them an indication of it, and they said, oh, I'll buy it. You know, they, they haven't seen it in the flesh, so sometimes you, they, it can happen. But so let's say he did buy it sight unseen, and at some point he wants to go and see it. Does he have to see it? On this occasion, right on this date, he's bought it already. It's his. He can go the day after the feast. doesn't have to go now. It's lame. It's a lame excuse. Another said, verse 19, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them or test them. I pray thee have me excused. Same idea. You've bought them. You're testing them now. Would that not be something you do before? You go to buy a used car and you, you, say, you say, I bought the car, now I need to go and test drive it. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Something's not right there. I mean, you go and do the test driving before you sign the contract, don't you? So I bought them, now I've got to prove them. If you've bought five yoke of oxen, if you actually have bought them, you've bought them. They're yours. Again, if you haven't tested them, 
And the chances are this is all nonsense. But if you haven't, you can do that the next day. They're yours already. If you're you're going to be disappointed, then you might as well be disappointed the day after a feast. You know, don't miss out on the feast. Verse 20, another said, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come. What does that say about the wife? Not quite sure what was going on in his mind. Do, 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 why, do women not like to dress up and go to feasts? Go to parties? <laughs> not many women that I know. They love an opportunity to get dressed up and go and enjoy friends and dine and all the rest. They love that. So don't tell me your wife isn't interested. But these are excuses. As I say, they're lame. <laughs> they're just, you look at them and go, you just shake your head. Shake your head. And yet, yet, this, this is what you face when you do evangelism, when you try to reach people. Lame excuses. Lame excuses. I, I've, I think I've heard it all. I've certainly heard a lot. And I've even seen people commit to something and then backing out, breaking their word right in front of me. <laughs> I remember one occasion, this is kind of humorous, but when I was working in the... the engineering firm, and there, there was three of us, myself and two other men on this particular contract, and we worked together very closely. And uh, one was kind of sympathetic to the gospel. The other one never wanted to hear me share anything about it. But we had developed a friendship, and I would often ask them, would you come to church? Would you come to church? And this particular one, who was generally hostile to me, Alec was his name, Alex said to me, I, 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 I threw, what, what was it? Yeah, I had a, I had a, a can of, of those like thinners, like a, a metal tin of thinners that we used as part of the job. And this was done. And from, maybe from here to that door, there was a garbage can. And I threw it, and it landed in the garbage can. And he said to me, if you do that three times in a row, I'll go to church. I said, okay. So I went and fetched out the garbage can. I threw it again. Two, straight in. Third one, threw it, boom, straight in. And, and he just stood there, shaking his head. Alec, you need to go to church. <laughs> and, and he wouldn't. He, he, would, he, was, he would not, I could not get him through the door of church. Couldn't. Couldn't get him to budge. I can add this in. We were doing outreach in the area where he lived. Sometime after that, and I didn't know exactly what house he lived in. I had an idea whereabouts it was, and I was trying to work with the rest of the outreach team, the door-to-door outreach team. I was, I was trying to get others to go where I thought it was. It's like, you go over there, you know. I, I, I talk to him every day, so, <laughs> so he needs to hear from someone else. And I was trying to manipulate it, but I went to one door and I knocked on it. And who answered the door? He was standing right there in front of me. I said, Alec, <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you about the Lord. <laughs> and his wife came to the door. And she had been brought up in a Christian home. And that was the softest I had ever seen him, standing there in the presence of his wife. And I was talking to her about the Lord and talking to both of them about the Lord. But I, I, 
I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is before God today, but just the resistance. He set, he set the terms. He set the terms. Do that three times, and I'll go to church. And it happened, and he would not go. And he had no decent excuse. And you go downtown, or you get to know people, and you ask them, will you come to church? And they, yeah, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. But they, they have no interest They have all these lame excuses why they cannot go. And sometimes you see right through them. It's it's always the, and it's why it's best not to email or text someone to come to church. Pick up the phone and call them. Because if you text them or you email them, you give them time to think about the response where they get to manipulate what's going on in their, their, their plans and so on. And they get to say, oh, I can't make it because of X, Y, and Z. You call them up and you ask them directly and you have them stammer and either they relent or you find that they say a really bad excuse. And you say, that's a bad excuse. That's not a real excuse. Our Lord has no patience for this. Look at verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry being angry. It's sobering, isn't it? The anger of the Lord. You, you, can, you can... Listen, if you're here and you're not saved, you can give me excuses all day long. I don't know your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life. And maybe you're very gifted in coming up with excuses. And I... I might never suspect. But the Lord sees the heart. He sees really what's going on. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, reading this passage, as a preacher, I'm 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 looking at it and wondering, is is this going to be true of anyone under my charge? That they have made some acknowledgement to the Lord? They show a measure of interest to some degree, but they don't possess Christ in the heart. And they have all sorts of excuses. They, 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 they're hoping no one suspects. But deep down they know. Like deep down you know you're not right with God. You know it. And you're, you're playing games. For, exa- for instance, you imagine it's just not the right time to live a devoted Christian life right now. But I intend to get there when I get the right job or when I get married or, or whatever it might be. You have these excuses, and you try to reason them out. You're saying, this just isn't a good time for me now. Whatever the excuse is, Christ uses ridiculous ones. Yours might be more convincing. But it's no less lame in the sense that it's not valid. It's not really what's going on in your heart. You're delaying. What for? You're putting it off. Why? And you think you can play games with the Lord who's inviting you to a feast, to a party. Come to this celebration. Come and dine. Come and enjoy this, this, this celebration of my victory over death. 
of my conquering of the, the gaping arms of hell that are going to wrap themselves around you, of my triumph over the curse. This is a party to celebrate, and I'm inviting you to come. And you won't. Go to Romans 2. Romans chapter 2. The apostle presents the, the guilt of the world in these opening chapters of Romans. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It, doesn't, it does not matter who you are. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Therefore thou art inexcusable. You have no excuse, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. In other words, you're the same as others. You've broken the same commandments. You're guilty of the same sins. There may be variation of degree, but the same sins are being committed. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds, and so on. There's no escape And you look at others and you can see the guilt in them, you can see the fault in them, but the same sins are in you. And you can talk about degrees, but that's all you can talk about. You can say they are more sinful in degree, but, but, ultimately, you know, what's the worst thing? Go back to Luke chapter 12. Remember when we were going through Luke 12? If I find it here. Luke 12, verse 47. Here, here's the warning. Luke 12, 47. That servant which knew his Lord's will. In other words, you know what God wants you to do. And prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. And you read the passage, you realize that the point that he's laying out here is you knew what was right and you didn't do it. And therefore the judgment is greater. That's the point of the passage. And so the same applies. You, you can point at sins. You can say, oh, I, I I'm not as guilty as, as this person or that person or I haven't committed this sin or that sin. But you are inexcusable. You've committed the same sins, though different in degree. And here's... Here's the worst part. 
The goodness of God has been put before you. And you reject it. It hasn't led you to repentance. And so the judgment that's coming to you is even worse. I, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> In some way, if, if listen to me now. If you never intend to get to Christ, better you walk out and you never come here again. And yet the problem you face is you've already heard. You already know. What was wrong with these people with their excuses? Is it, is it wrong? Is it, is it wrong to, to buy a piece of ground and go and see it? No, it's not wrong. Is it wrong to buy oxen and test them? No. Is it wrong to have a wife? No. Nothing wrong with these things. The problem lies in the fact that the elevated secondary matters to be primary in their life. This is the exact opposite of Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Do do you imagine these these people would want to go to the feast someday? I think so. I think so. Who, Who wouldn't want to go to a feast? So, so in their mind, there, there's a part of them that no doubt would like to enjoy the feast, but when they're pressed to come in that moment, they are elevating something else. It's just not, the, whatever it is, it's not the right time. And so they say no. Are you preoccupied with secondary things? Are there things in your life that keep you from believing in Christ? If so, you're depicted here. Which brings us thirdly to a full house. A full house. Divine invitations, lame excuses, a full house. Again, look at verse 21. Luke 14, 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper." few things to note here. First, let's see those who help fill the house. Who helps fill the house? It is those that are called or designated servants. Servants. Verse 21, that servant. 22, the servant said, the Lord has servants, and the servants have an obligation, that is to fill the house. Fill the house. Don't be satisfied. Fill the house. 
Everyone who says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ, has to be in some way endeavoring by the grace of God to fill the house. Fill the master's house. Now we're different. I am aware, and I've said this before, but let me say it again. I know that not everyone is built or called to stand at the side of the Reedy River and preach in the open air. I know that. But I do think many people could grab a handful of tracts and stand there and give them out, even if you say nothing. Just hand them out. I said to young Hudson, who was with me, and maybe doesn't have all, a lot of experience in this, I said, look, don't, don't be afraid of any questions. Don't, don't be afraid of being asked anything. If someone asks you something you don't know, just, just point over in my direction. Send them my way. It's okay. It's all right not to know. But you can give out tracts, and he did a great job. And we can all do it. And there are other things you can do. I'm not telling you how it should look. All I'm saying is this, right? I'm not going to bring up a list of, of this is how it must be for you, all right? I'm not saying you have to serve God precisely in this way. So don't misunderstand me. What I am saying is if you claim to be a servant of Christ in some way, in some way, I don't know how it might look, You have to be trying to fill the house. I remember two two sisters in Northern Ireland, aged sisters, they never married, they they lived together, and they had come to a point in their life where they, they, they were not able to do very much. And yet, they had a ministry. You want to know what that ministry was? They wrote letters, handwritten letters to inmates, people in prison. And I don't know the connections that they had or what they did, but they would write and they would share their own testimony and share the gospel to, to prisoners, people in prison. <laughs> it's like, isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's just, they, 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 can't, they barely leave the house, but that's what they're doing. They're trying to fill the house. Get the house full. Oh, that it should be, it should be stumped on all of our minds. In what way this week am I going to try to fill the house? Because I'm being sent out of here. You're not being sent out of here to just go and do your own thing. You have your calling. You have your obligations. God bless you in them and fill you with the Spirit to do them. But think, of, think about how might I incorporate the filling of His house into the other callings I have upon my life. Is it a matter, do I have a way of, of putting literature right there in front of people in my place of employment or the place that I work? And Can I do that? Is there some other way? I'm not saying, is there some way to fill the house? God's servants are in the business of trying to see the house filled. And when we come back and say, well, we've done what we can, you know what the Lord says? Go again! Go again! The house isn't full. Keep going. Oh, God help us. May this church never lose its sense of the commission. He still tells us to preach the gospel to every creature. Keep going. Keep going. Every Christian, fill the house. Fill the house. If you're a servant of God, then a servant to do what? Are you a servant who gets to kick back and just enjoy the benefits of the gospel? doesn't sound like servitude to me. It doesn't sound like servitude. Servitude indicates doing 
The master has done all the work. He's prepared all the meal. He's done everything necessary. He bestows upon you the benefits of his gospel freely. You enjoy them. And he says, in the enjoyment of what Christ has done, get others in. Like the lepers. You, you, you do not well if you hold your peace. Go and share the news. Fill the house. Fill the house. And not necessarily this house, though I welcome you inviting people and telling me, calling me and saying, email me and saying, preacher, pray for this person. I've asked them to come to church. I'll pray for them along with you. God will bring them in and save their souls. I watched a little video yesterday. Someone shared it on social media. A little video where Reverend James Beggs, who's one of our very senior ministers in the Free Presbyterian Church in Northern Ireland, Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster, one of the elders of the church in Balamina where the Reverend Greer ministers. And seven minutes where they're talking about the gospel mission in 1975. And we, we heard about it. We heard all sorts of stories, but it was, it was just enjoyable to watch that little clip again and be reminded of what happened there. But everyone, everyone was just trying to get people in, and God moved. And there were hundreds, hundreds converted. So we, we need to be in some way, however limited we may be, filling the house. Not only those who help fill the house, those who fill the house, that is those who fill up the house, those that come in to the house. Verse 22, the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. The Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. And I'll just go back actually to the, verse, the end of verse 21. Bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Bring in all them, as well as anyone else you can find in the highways and hedges. In other words, anyone and everyone. Now, now we may spiritualize the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind, and I could do that. I could talk about being poor of spirit, not having uh, anything to offer up before God, and being spiritually maimed, not able to walk in obedience or in some way that pleases God, and so on and so forth, being spiritually blind. We could talk about that, but I, I, there's application there, but I think we have to see that there's a sense of a certain demographic that is being focused on here by the Master. He's, he's saying, look, don't pass anyone by. Do not pass anyone by. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how limited they are. Bring them in if you can. I read that, and I, I know it, every church has its demographic. So here, here's what I want you just to remember. I want you to remember this. And many of you do this very well anyway, but I, I just say this. Please remember that people who feel themselves to be down and out immediately feel like they don't belong when they walk in here. Right? It's not your fault. Right? You're not doing anything to do that, and it's not, you, you shouldn't have to change anything about what you do or what I do, I, and I, I'm no different to you, it's the same. But just be conscious that, that they immediately they wonder, do I belong here? That's the question in their mind, do I belong here? And the question we have to ask ourselves, how, how are we helping to eliminate that 
question in their mind, to, to make them feel and sense, yes, yes, you belong. Why? Because it may not look like it, but listen, I'm poor, and I'm maimed, and I'm blind, and without the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm nothing as well. I've been saved for the last 25 years. God has done a work in my life. I just say to you, I say to you, please be conscious of it. And if and when people that may fit this demographic, and I'm not, you know, you can't help but look and see sometimes, double down on making them feel welcome. That's all I'd say. Try to double down. Double down. And we may not win them all. They may come in and say, there's no way I belong here. And then we never see them again. That's okay. That's up to them. But let it not be because we, 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 we give evidence to the query in their mind. So I hope that it's not criticism. It's just, it's where we are. It's what we're dealing with. We're not inner city, downtown with a demographic in the congregation that you might expect in such circumstances or whatever. So just, just keep it in mind. I just read this and I, I thought, Lord, help us to do better. Help us to do better. And they come in, when we invite them in, when they're in our presence, they, they are. They are welcome. They are welcome here, just as they're welcome to the Master's house. And even when you get them in, then go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Just, just keep going. If you find another one, you drag them into the house. Then go again. Go again. You say, well, what? I've, I've, picked up all, I've picked up all the halt by the road. And I've, I've picked up all the blind along the street. I've gotten them all. Then, then keep going. Go farther. And I think that's the indication. I think that's what the Lord is indicating. He is he's communicating again this idea. You, Israel, you've rejected me. And I'm going to send my servants way beyond the borders of Israel. And they're going to go to the highways and the hedges and they're going to pull in people that you think nothing of. They're going to be brought in. That's us, you know. That's you and me. The ones found in the highways and hedges. He's mercifully stepped in, saved us. Let us never forget it. In that sense, in that sense, <laughs> having brought the, the, the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind and then those in the highways and hedges, this, these are the, the, the ones that are even less expected to be invited in, right? The, the, the poor, the poor, or the, the lame of Israel might be put ahead of, of Gentiles here in the highways and hedges. They certainly had greater privileges. But we are brought in. Really what this is, is an outworking of, a practical outworking of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 43 Matthew 5, 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. So, that's the philosophy. You've heard that. 
go to your upstanding Jewish neighbor. Love them. But your enemy, those on the highways and hedges, don't go near them. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. Bless them. Maybe someone needs to hear that. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So people mistreat God. People think little of God. And you're to be like Him in your response. He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Oh, He has an electing love. That's a mystery to us. But He has a benevolent love. God is a benevolent love. And your call to love your enemies is not based on any, what we might term, decretive will of God, but on the legislative will of God. What I mean is, God has a decreed will. He has a decretive will. It's a mystery. We don't know anything about it. But He has a legislated will. A will He has revealed in His Word. And it calls you to obey it. That means love your enemies. Show a benevolent love to all and sundry. And since that's the case, then you preach the gospel to everyone. Because how, how, how can you love them and then hold, withhold the gospel? The key way you show your love for your neighbor is to tell them the gospel. Going back very quickly. Look at the last verse, verse 24. Those who will never be invited again. Those who will never be invited again. For I say unto you, and here's the punchline, here's driving at the point, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. That's the point. That's what Jesus is communicating to those in the Pharisee's house. None bidden, who obviously didn't respond, none bidden, shall taste of my supper. That point is compounded by all that proceeds. It's compounded by the fact that the Lord doesn't leave the house empty. He goes after all the people that are considered low by the Pharisees, nothing by the Pharisees, less than the Pharisees. He's only compounding that point. But this, this really is the bottom line. You were bidden. You didn't come. You won't enjoy. The doors to the party are closed to you. The celebration, the banquet. And again, I think it's Isaiah 25. I think 
it's off the top of my head, where it speaks of this, prophetically, of this great feast. We have it in Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. You have this imagery of what God is pulling men in to dine and enjoy. And he is saying to these people who imagine themselves God's favorites, he's saying, you were bidden, you didn't come, you'll never taste it. The idea that men in ancient times would reject an invitation to a banquet like this is highly unlikely. They didn't do that. You get, you get invited to something like this, you went. Unless it was impossible, you went. And that, that's what's compound, that's what's jarring about the story. Those sitting there are listening, what? Of course you would come. Of course you would. Who wouldn't? Look at us. We were all invited to this Pharisee's house. There's, there's scores of us here invited into the Pharisee's home on this Sabbath, and we came. Of course we would come. Jesus is, is pointing out that, that that which seems impossible, that which seems to not make sense within their culture is what's happening right there and then as he is bidding them to come. And they won't. So, dear friend, before we close, I, I, I urge upon you again that this invitation comes from the Lord. It is an invitation to a banquet, to a feast. He is calling you to come and enjoy it. To enjoy, to enjoy there, put out before you the great, the great knowledge of your sins forgiven. Yes, let me dine on that. My sins are forgiven. They're all forgiven under the blood of Christ, washed away, never to be remembered against me. Yes, let me feast on that. Let me feast on the knowledge of who I am in Christ, adopted into the family of God. The rights and privileges of the children of God are mine. Let me feast there. Let me feast in the knowledge that nothing will ever, ever, ever separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Let me feast on that. Feast on it forever. There's coming a day and we will all gather and we will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we will dine there. We will gather. And, and it won't be like the Passover where we keep our shoes on because we have to hurry. We'll be able to rest in the eternal day enjoying Enjoying all that is laid up for us. Much of which has, has not entered into the heart of man. So Christ shatters pride here. He looks at the religious who are sitting at the, the feast, all the privileged among the Pharisees, and he says, you, you feel something. You were invited and you thought, yes, Reuben, whatever his name was, has invited me to eat at this great feast this Sabbath. I'm going to go because all the high and mighty, all the high and mighty of the area will be there. I'm going to go. And Christ is saying, God has bid you come to his feast. And you have said, you will not taste. 
you will not taste. Ever. Ever. The blessings of what has been purchased by Jesus Christ. May that not be true of any here. Let's bow together in prayer. We're at the close of our meeting. Again, I say to visitors, please join with us for fellowship downstairs. But if you're here and you're not in Christ, you have no assurance that you are saved. You have no enjoyment of the gospel. You're outside. You've been bidden, but you haven't responded. You've been called, but you won't accept the invitation. In God's name, I say one final time tonight, come, for all things are now ready. They are ready tonight. They are ready for you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him. Call on him now while he is near. Lord, I pray, bless thy word. We thank thee for such condescension to sinners and such benevolence to us amidst all our wickedness. And we thank Thee that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, came not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Father, I pray that none would be lost here. I pray for the children. Some of our children may not yet be saved. Lord, may they hear you bidding them, calling them, inviting them to take Jesus Christ as he has offered to them, to believe on the Son for the forgiveness of their sins. Give them childlike faith, we pray. Remember others here tonight who have been bidden and bidden and bidden. The goodness of God should lead them to repentance. But yet they are standing outside. God of mercy. God of mercy, have mercy this night. Be with us. Bless the food downstairs. Help us to eat and to drink to thy glory. And go with us this week and give us appointments where we can invite and call people in that thy house may be filled. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy people now and evermore. Amen.